Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today, I'm really excited to have a guest that I just think the world of, Dr. Susan DeWitty, who is the provost at Oklahoma Baptist University, which is located in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And if you've not been to Shawnee, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Baptist has a beautiful campus where it's the kind of place when you think of the, the kind of institution where you want to send your, your kids it is one of those places. It's just a beautiful spot and they're doing some great work there. And so, Susan, welcome to the show. We are really glad that you are here. Thank you for having me. So uh, in this show, we're, we're spending time with leaders trying to understand more about their stories. One of the things I've noticed as uh, someone who cares about leaders and, and just enjoys being around leaders is that leaders are always interested in the stories of other people. And I began noticing that when we were doing uh, programs for companies, we would have the uh, introduction moment where people would go around and tell about themselves. And it dawned on me watching in that moment, I, I, was, I was watching because the leaders in the group, they would listen very attentively. They were very interested in the stories of other people. And so we've created this podcast to help us understand uh, more about other people and, and hopefully more about how we can serve people well. So let's uh, get into your story. Tell us about uh, where you grew up and some of the things that um, might be helpful for us to understand more about you. Absolutely. Thank you uh, again for having me, Nathan. Um, I grew up in uh, Eastern Oklahoma, a, a small town a rural town uh, called Arcoma, uh, 1A high school. Uh, and when I was there, uh, we probably had about 500 students K-12. Um, and I felt so incredibly fortunate to be there. And I remember that my parents uh, used to always tell people uh, there was something special about where I went to school. Um, and, and I really do appreciate the opportunities afforded me there. Um, I recognize that if I had gone to um, a larger school uh, and been in a larger district, there may have been more educational opportunities for me in the way of classes to take uh, or maybe exposure to teachers that uh, had more certifications or more credentials. Uh, but what I realize now looking back is that I was able to uh, hold leadership positions uh, in you know, student council and uh, be a part of uh, athletic teams. I cheered for several years, you know, had all these opportunities that I was able to layer uh, in, in my time, I learned a lot about time management at, at a young age because of that. And so I recognize that coming from a small place definitely has its advantages, uh, but it certainly also has its disadvantages as well. Um, and so uh, uh, one disadvantage that I think I recognized when I went off to college uh, for the first time uh, was that I grew up in a place where everyone looked just like me. And uh, folks uh, were coming from you know, I'm a first-generation college graduate. Um, so were a lot of my, my classmates had that same opportunity, uh, but not many of them chose to go on to post-secondary education. And so I recognize that um, I, I've grown up in a very um, Anglo uh, area of the world, and I hadn't been exposed to many people who were different than me. Um, and so I would say the transition to university was really exciting for me uh, because it gave me an opportunity for the first time to be around people who were different than me. 
Um, I started out at a community college and I would not change that for the world uh, because that environment allowed me to thrive in a smaller university setting where people really did care about me uh, and were invested in my success as much as I was really. Um, and so uh, again, you know, coming from a small place uh, has its advantages and its disadvantages. And um, I'm, st- I'm grateful for, for where I come from. And uh, my parents still live there to this day. Well, I love hearing about where people come from. And I can imagine that uh, small border town there uh, on the eastern side of Oklahoma, uh, not too far from uh, Arkansas, and that school that I'm sure must be very proud of you now. Um, when, you, when you look at um, those times, you, you talked about some of the moments that helped form uh, your idea of what it meant to be a leader. Can you help us understand more about the moments when you realized that uh, people listened to what what you had to say, that that maybe you could influence things, that that was a way that you could connect people? When did you realize that you were a leader? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like an onion. I've I've peeled layers of that understanding um, over the journey of my life. But I think probably the first time I realized was when you're put in a position to lead. Uh, and, and people do actually listen, you know, or they are interested in what you think or what you have to say or how you would guide the conversation. And so, yeah, I do think in my formative years, I, I recognized that I had some leadership potential. Um, and I think that also comes from, I grew up in a, in a military household. My father is a, a 41 years a career military uh, in the Air Force. And so, you know, uh, structure was a part of our lives. My dad is a natural born leader, uh, but so is my mom. And so I was able to watch uh, parents who did not choose to, to get college education uh, when they were uh, younger and they were married at a young age, and, but they made quite a life for themselves and quite a life for us. And uh, they did so by serving and loving people. Uh, and working really hard. And so I think in watching my parents, I recognize some of the characteristics that my parents had, I also had. Um, and so I think I saw from a genetic standpoint, I could probably do this. I, I could probably step into these spaces uh, and be a leader um, and, and be a positive influence. And so I think um, probably the, the opportunity to influence people positively was the first time I recognized that I could be a leader. So, and not to embarrass you, but you've become one of the most successful people I know in the academic community. Um, you, you were among the youngest provosts uh, in America. Uh, you, you've um, done some things that are really, truly historic in a very challenging time. If people aren't fully aware, a lot of demographic changes in America, a lot of changes that are pertaining to higher education. The last several years have been really challenging for higher education. And now, due to the coronavirus, COVID-19, the pandemic, this this has to have been the greatest disruption in the history of higher education. And so um, here you are in in this uh, important role, and, and you're trying to serve your students and things like that. I want to come back to that here in a minute, but I want to set the stage for the listeners of when you're imagining who this person is, this is someone that did not just make her way through. She is someone that um, her service has translated into being able to be in some unusual uh, roles. 
So you, you finish high school, you go to community college, you see that the world is bigger than you thought it was. It's more diverse than you thought it was. Take us from there. What, what happened after community college? Absolutely. So, you know, again, had every opportunity to uh, be a student leader and ambassador on campus. I was on scholarship and was afforded so many opportunities, even my freshman and sophomore years. I remember the first semester being very difficult. Um, I think I I ended up with something like a 3.25, which felt like the end of the world for me um, because I'd grown up with uh, the idea of you've got to give everything you've got and and do the very best you can. And I was doing that, um, but it didn't feel like I was able to earn the grades that I thought I should be able to. And so I remember that being a challenge for me um, and and really working through uh, what is my best and what is success and, and, and what's that going to look like for me. And I had a number of people on campus, um, advisors and uh, people who were just staff members on campus who cared and invested, faculty members. And really that laid the foundation for me to understand the benefit of that um, sort of ecosystem of a university or at that point, a community college. That community college actually became a university uh, while I was there. And so the the long-term chancellor that had been there was a fantastic leader. And he understood that the, the institution was an economic engine for the region and that could really um, change the, the way that uh, the educational landscape would look. Um, and so, you know, having an opportunity even as a student to serve at development and advancement events and be near that president and be around um, female leaders. There was a female provost at that institution at that time. I didn't know that wasn't normal at that point. Um, and so being able to be exposed to then Dr. Sanders um, and her leadership and just being able to see um, how the world works in that small environment um, and then transitioning, you know, I, I transferred and, and received a, a, my four-year degree through Arkansas Tech University. And so, you know, the idea that um, I had people advocating for me uh, in terms of my transferring and, and being able to, again, finish a degree. Um, I chose early childhood education, which people will chuckle when I tell them that's my degree now, because it seems like what I do is so far from that. Uh, but really, so many of the principles that I learned in my undergraduate degree, um, I say, you know, the students I work with now are just older than the ones I was trained to work with pre-K through four, right? And uh, a lot of the principles of, um, of learning and assessment Uh, helping students that are gifted, those that have special needs, all of those uh, types of populations were a part of my undergraduate degree. And so it has afforded me um, just a wonderful, uh, I think, foundation uh, for where I am today. Um, And then I would say from there, you know, I thought, because again, first generation college grad, I thought I needed to go and teach. And so I was working on lining up teaching jobs while I was um, interning as a senior. And really thinking about what was going to be next. And I had another leader in my life named Michelle, who was uh, an advisor of a leadership group I was a part of. And that year, um, I was the president of that uh, organization. And she had asked me to, you know, revise the bylaws, uh, really work out um, some of the sort of administrivia of that group and really maximize our impact on campus. And so I'd I'd worked with a wonderful team of other uh, undergrad students like myself, and we came up with some really creative ways to serve the university. And because of the work that we did, uh, Michelle advocated uh, for me when I didn't even know it uh, to an enrollment dean at another university. um, And he actually offered to pay for my master's degree if I would go there 
um, and uh, work for him and and do some of the same things that I had been offered to do at the undergrad level uh, for this program at, at another university. And so I received a graduate assistantship and very quickly uh, was adopted onto another university campus. Uh, and, and really, honestly, I never thought it was going to be that way. I mean, I, I certainly believe in learning. I have always enjoyed being a learner. Uh, but in terms of thinking about going straight to graduate school, it just wasn't on my radar. Um, and again, some of that, I think, comes from the root of being from a small place um, and wanting to be able to pay as you go and wanting to, you know, be sure that you don't, um, you know, my parents instilled in me not to take on debt, you know, to, to work um, while I was going to school and to be sure that things were paid for. And so, you know, the idea of going straight to my master's program uh, was something I thought I would do after I worked for a while and saved up some money for it. Um, I never heard of people getting scholarships for that. Um, and so the idea that this Dean of Enrollment Management, his name's Bill Nallen, um, and I'm still in touch with Bill today, and here's why. Um, I went there thinking, okay, and he's going to pay for me to get a master's degree. I need to get something that's useful um, and that will enhance the career that I'm trying to start, right? And so I began looking at things that would plug into and match up with the undergraduate program that I had achieved and, and completed. And, and Bill sat me down one day and he said, why are you trying to do this thing? And, and what it was, I was looking at uh, becoming a reading specialist um, because there were lots of jobs in that area. And again, first generation coming from a small place, I'm trying to think about employability and, and being very practical. Um, I'm very practically minded in that way. And it's my parents have instilled that in me. And so um, I was looking at that and he sat me down and he said, why are you trying to go this way? I'm not criticizing you. I'm just curious. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, this is practical. This is pragmatic. And I, I sort of pointed him in that direction. And he said, you know, we have a degree in higher ed administration. Why are you not thinking about doing that? And I remember in that moment, I can even picture uh, what his office looked like and sitting there with him that day. And this is a dean and I'm a 22-year-old, you know, fresh out of undergrad. Couldn't believe I'm sitting in front of an enrollment dean. And he's saying to me, Susan, why are you trying to do this thing when obviously God has equipped you for this other thing? Um, and so I, I took that advice from him. I told him I would pray about it and um, ended up changing my trajectory. I remember the first thought being, you mean you can have a career in higher ed? I don't know what I thought all of those people who had helped me along the way and who had mentored me and who had poured into my life. I don't know why I didn't immediately think that was something that was possible for me. Uh, but it took Bill saying that to me for me to recognize. Um, and that was a pivotal point for me. Um, and I haven't turned back since. And so 18 years ago, um, I began that trajectory and a career in higher education. Let me jump in on that because um, thank you for that description. Uh, of your journey. Through that, you've mentioned a handful of people's names, some, some men and women uh, who were, were a part of your life. And at that moment, even, you recognized that they were influencers, that they were um, investing in you, uh, mentoring you. You mentioned some, some women specifically, and then some, some men as well. You um, are, are the first uh, woman who has been a provost at Oklahoma Baptist University, which is a high honor. How do you think having women mentors helped shape you? Uh, or, or was it um, that you really needed both? Or Help us understand more about what are the kind of mentors that uh, I need or might even be seeking in, in life to help me thrive. What, what, what's Absolutely. your take on that? Sure. 
I, you know, for me, it has never been that I sought one gender or the other. Um, I think early on, um, and especially now that I'm in the role that I'm in, I look back on Dr. Sandy Sanders. She was the provost at that community college where I was attending, and she was the epitome of class and was a phenomenal speaker and leader and um, never a hair out of place. Um, and, and that's what I remember about her. And, um, you know, I didn't think that was odd at the time. I didn't understand the gift that I had in her being my provost. Um, until now, I recognize that that's very rare. And it certainly was even more rare 20 years ago. Um, and so, yeah, so, I, you know, that's one. But again, the Lord has put a lot of people in my life that um, along my uh, journey. And, you know, like I talked about Bill Allen uh, there where I received my master's and, you know, Bill is still working in higher ed today. Um, and I'm still in contact with him. And I try to express my gratefulness every time I remember that he really was the pivotal person who spoke into my life. And so I think when we're looking for mentors and we're looking for people to speak into our lives, we have to be ready that they're not only going to be encouragers, and that they're also going to be people who can speak and say, why are you doing that thing? Or even saying, I'm not sure you've thought about all of the things that go into this. You know, let me help you think about that. And so uh, even speaking in moments of your life when maybe you need to change your trajectory. And so having people who are willing to uh, take that role in your life and help you to navigate um, has been incredibly important to me. Um, and I've had others, you know, I had a, a provost when I worked at John Brown University, who he's still to this day, um, I, he's one of the first people I call when I need advice. Um, and he, for whatever reason, had a deeply held belief in me after he first met me and we began to work together. Um, and he would speak that into my life and say, he believed that I had a bright future if I wanted it. Um, and he would help me to try to figure out what that looked like. So you have these people in your life, you're, you're open to a, a new world. Uh, you, you recognize that the world you grew up in was the world you grew up in. And then you find, uh, hey, there's even more out there. And you have these discoveries. And so now you're having these conversations about uh, the master's degree. And so you go down that path. Uh, so you finish that. What was it that made you decide that you would continue on and pursue your doctorate? Sure. I mean, I think even as a, as a, as a master's student, a graduate student, I dreamed for that. Um, I began to recognize that in some ways, I felt like I was redeeming something uh, my, mom's, my mom would always express regret about. Um, you know, the idea that she uh, would have loved to have been a school teacher and wanted to finish her degree. And so my parents worked very hard to make sure that I had every opportunity that was put in front of me available to me. And so that meant that they would help me financially. That means that they would move me from here to there. <laughs> you know, they were always so invested in me. And so I think I felt a sense of, I I'm doing this for our family. This is, there, there's more to this than just me. Um, and then in terms of my doctorate, I recognized early on and in talking with mentors uh, that there could be a ceiling uh, that, that I would not be able to rise above. Um, and it wasn't for me about a, a specific title or role that I was seeking. Um, honestly, I have a competitive drive in me and I didn't want someone to tell me artificially that I could not go past a certain point uh, because I hadn't achieved a certain degree. Um, when I knew that the Lord had wired me to be a learner 
And though I don't necessarily think I'm the smartest person in the room, and typically I'm not, um, I know that I have the work ethic that it takes to do uh, whatever is needed. And so I knew that I could apply the hand to the plow and get that done. And so that just became a dream of mine that someday I would pursue and complete my doctoral degree. So you, you finish your doctorate, you um, start pursuing your uh, career in different ways, and, and you make your way into administrative leadership. And then you find that uh, this is something where you can be of service to people and you continue moving up. And so now you, you're in this chief academic officer role. I want to ask you a handful of questions that I like to ask our guests. And, and I, would, I would like for you to just uh, respond. And, and I want to kind of push this into that 30 second to minute long answer, because I, I want to go through a series of, of questions. So now you're in that chief academic role, which is a change in identity. That when you become, let's say, the, the provost or a dean or something like that, and, and every uh, industry has its version of this, that when you take on this role, people might look at you differently. What is one thing that you think people misunderstand about uh, someone who might be in, in the role of provost? What, what, what would you think people misunderstand about someone in that chief academic officer role? Sure. It's, I mean, I was on a call with my team this morning, right? So with the pandemic uh, situation that we're in, we have check-in phone calls. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about um, was some future transition that's coming. And one of the things that was said to me was they were grateful for the opportunity to work next to me because they rec- recognize that I have a sense of humor, uh, that, I, that I love life and that I love people. And, and that they felt as though that if I hadn't worked that closely to them, they wouldn't have known that about me. Um, I'm not saying that in a bragging way. I hope you don't hear it that way. I'm saying that because I recognize and I have recognized over probably the last four or five years that I can appear quite serious to people sometimes. Um, that it, you know, if you don't work next to me and you're not around me all the time, you may not always know that I'm a human just like anyone else and that I, uh, that I make huge mistakes uh, and that I also love to laugh and have a good time. And so I think um, it's important, no matter what role a person is in, that we have to look at them and recognize uh, they're human too. And there's more to them than just the title that they wear or the position that they hold. Thank you. I'm going to keep on going on this. Um, what is the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, wow. I'll be really honest. I, I think it's those moments in my life when um, my parents have told me they're proud of me. I think that's one of the best compliments a kid could receive. Yeah. And I appreciate that very much. I think it's interesting that sometimes people will look at leaders and the achievements that they might uh, have, and they think that it's about them. And, and what you said earlier to me is, is really compelling. You said, you know, in part, getting the doctorate, when you walked across that stage, you, you were not walking across that stage to get that diploma for just you, that you were representing all the people who had invested in you. And I want to be careful in that in your field, that's the that's the requirement to do what you do. And, and, and neither one of us feel that people who don't choose this path are, are lesser than or less intelligent oh, no. or anything like that sure. at all. It's just, this is what you do for that industry. But it is a very unique moment to walk across that stage, get that diploma, and then they put that hood over your head and all of a sudden uh, things are different for you. Um, that gift to be able to give to your parents to say, you sacrificed for me. You, you believed in me. And, and this is a moment where I, I can, in a tangible way, say, we did this. Uh, what did that feel like for you? 
Yeah, it was incredible. Um, and what's really interesting is my, my dad actually fell ill uh, within 24 hours of my doctoral graduation. And so my parents didn't even get to attend in person. Mm, wow. um, and so, but my husband was there, um, who's been a huge uh, supporter, advocate, champion. Um, he thinks I can do anything and I don't understand that. Um, and so I'd be remiss to not mention him as well. He did his doctorate first. Um, and so in our uh, mid to late 20s, he went to PhD school. He has a PhD in English. Um, and so in some ways, he blazed that trail in our immediate family. And he showed me how to uh, sort of eat an elephant by one bite at a time. And so he really became an encourager and an advocate on the ground with me every moment um, along the way in my doctorate. Um, and, you know, when you live with someone who's accomplished that, I think it helps you to recognize um, it is a human thing that is possible. Um, it's just going to take time and it's going to take a lot of effort and elbow grease and you're probably going to lose some sleep. Um, but yeah, it was really difficult that my parents couldn't be there. Um, but my dad actually was not physically able. The physician would not let him travel. Um, and so, you know, I think um, I, I wrote, you know, you get a, a part in the, the, the dissertation to acknowledge the people who have helped you. And uh, certainly my parents were forefront in that. And so... Um, I am, am proud of, of what has been accomplished academically. As you said, it's kind of the norm in what we do. Um, but yeah, you're right. You don't think less of people who don't have that. It's just something different, right? It's just something that we do. Um, and it certainly isn't so people will call me doctor, right? Um, for me, it's more about achieving something for my family, um, showing others that it's a possible thing for them, that they can do it too. Um, and that's one of the reasons why in my off time, I, I teach doctoral students uh, that are in my field so I can stay current on my field, of course, uh, but also because I want other people to know what's possible for them and to speak into their lives the way people have spoken into mine. For leaders who are listening to this that are, are wanting to um, just continue to grow as leaders to become more effective in their craft, uh, what are some of the resources that have been helpful to you in your leadership journey? Sure. So it was instilled in me at an early age that leaders are readers. And so what that meant was whether it are articles in my field or, or, you know, books. And so one of the things, every time I meet someone, I always ask them what they're reading. Um, I'm looking uh, like now, you know, we're on Zoom calls with people and you can see their, their books shelves behind them. Uh, it's really difficult not to look at their bookshelf instead of looking at them because I'm always curious to know what people are reading and learning to bring them to the place where they are professionally. I mean, so that's one piece of it is, is being open to reading and consuming as much as you can to be the best that you can. But then I also think it's listening more than we speak uh, because I'm, I am taught things by everyone in every role on campus every day, right? Everyone I come in contact with, I have an opportunity to learn from but I have to be observant and I have to be willing to listen in order to learn from other people. And so I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and then I think, you know, like you said, I love to hear people's stories. You know, if I get a chance to have dinner with students or, um, you know, sit around on campus with them in the afternoon or something like that, that's part of the joy of my life. And I want to know just what you're asking me, Nathan, where are you from? What makes you tick? Why do you, why do you want to pursue that degree that you are? Who did you come from? What is your, you know, what's your family like? Uh, because to me, we grow every time we learn about someone who's different than we are. Uh, and also it gives us an opportunity to give forward what people have given me and, and by the way of opportunity and speaking into my life. 
um, I believe it's my job to do that for other people and to pass that on. Um, and so that gives me a, a reason to do that and an opportunity for that. Well, Susan, I really do appreciate your time. I, uh, I know how much you have on your plate right now as you are planning for the summer into the fall. And, and there's an incredible amount of ambiguity. And I really do appreciate uh, your time. How can people learn more about you or about Oklahoma Baptist University? Oh, absolutely. Come to our website. Um, you know, I typically would say, come visit us. Uh, you know, as soon as this uh, uh, COVID-19 protocol, pandemic protocol lifts, we want you to come see us. Uh, take a trip out to Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, we're about uh, 35 miles east of Oklahoma City. And we're right off of I-40. And uh, it, it's a beautiful place. It's a special place. Um, and if you have a student, if you're listening to this and you have a student or a neighbor or someone who is looking for a special environment where they will be poured into and invested in. Honestly, I love OBU because I think it has so much to do with the experience that I received at the community college that I attended, if that makes sense. I was in a very special place at a very special time. Um, and I look at OBU in a very similar way. And there are a lot of people with a story like mine that they do what we do. We do what we do because we get to invest in the lives of students every day. Uh, that's what makes this pandemic so difficult um, is that we're not in the exact same zip code as our students right now. And so we're trying to use technology to maintain that connection, um, but it's a very special place. And um, oh gosh, if you want to learn more about me, um, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, let's have a cup of coffee. I, I love to get to know other leaders and to learn about what you're doing uh, because you're making a difference where you are. Uh, and that helps me to learn more about how I can make a difference where I am. Thank you, Susan. This has been the Strata Leadership Show, where we are connecting leaders with one another to share stories and ideas about ideas that matter. And so uh, it's the job of leaders to set the pace. So today, set the pace. If you'd like to learn more about Strata Leadership, we're at strataleadership.com. Set the pace today and make it a great day.